Welcome to Financial Frameworks. Financial Frameworks goal is to increase your financial decision-making skills, building on what you already know. Today's podcast builds on and weaves together several threads that have run through almost all of Financial Frameworks podcasts. Those threads are building on what you know and how you learn so that you can get smarter faster. Number two, hanging on to the money that you've earned using value investing approaching it from your perspective, not the markets. Number three, here we are at the beginning of March. What financial issues are front and center? They're recurring, but with some new twists. So we'll look at that. And then finally, I'll provide some additional ESG information for your use as that piece of the investing world continues to evolve and becomes more important and becomes more contentious. So in today's podcast, we'll apply what we cover in each area through examples, and then I'll give you some questions for you to consider how these concepts work in your financial world. So let's go through the topics and apply them to what we're doing to increase our net worths here at the beginning of March. Building on what you know. There's an old question, how do I know what I know? The short answer is that you don't without taking some sort of inventory and testing your knowledge on a regular basis, what your applied knowledge and your conceptual knowledge is. Putting it in the terms of the pragmatist philosophers like John Dewey or William James, they valued experience and abductive reasoning. It's a term we don't hear very often these days, but it's a more precise name for reasoning when you would like to have more information and you simply make the best prediction with the information that you have. So rather than assuming that you don't have enough data, you take a stab, you build on it, you use abductive logic, as well as other tools like deductive reasoning to determine, uh, let's pick a stock. Well, I've worked in the auto repair industry for five years. What products do I use that I really like? Is WD-40 a good investment? When I managed a computer system for securities traders, they often used to say, We don't have enough time, we don't have enough information or money, but we have to pull the trigger anyway. This is a combination of abductive and deductive thinking. However, what often happens is that we assume we need more information than we have and we choose to do nothing. I wanna give you two examples of learning to act based on what the individuals in the examples knew from their own experiences and which informed their developing financial frameworks. It takes a while to develop a framework. We don't learn how to make decisions instantly. We forget that in this instant world of internet availability and immediate access to information. So my first example of astute learning that has stayed with me since reading a book called Secrets of the Temple back in 1979. The book is about the Federal Reserve and it describes the actions of an individual upon learning that credit would be tightening in the fall of 1979. I will quote from the book, and this is what this individual did. William Klein, a real estate agent and home builder in Portsmouth, Virginia, read the newspapers and acted promptly. Klein sold off his last house, laid off two secretaries, dismissed his construction superintendent and shut off the office phone. For 20 years, his small construction company had built about 25 homes a year while he sold real estate on the side. 
Now Klein decided he would be only a realtor. I read that interest rates were going to be volatile, and I said right away, no more building. An independent contractor, Klein could be swiftly caught in the middle. His decision was wise. End of quote. My second example is a recurring figure in my podcast, Peter Lynch. In his book, One Up on Wall Street, Lynch talks about understanding financial institutions and for a time, ignoring or not being alert to the values of the business in his own industry. The values of these businesses were undervalued and their shares were available for a purchase at discount. Lynch did not buy any. He makes the point to remind the reader, you and me, not to take for granted knowledge that we usually take for granted. Do not take that knowledge for granted and see where it leads you. Those are two pretty good examples. Moving on to value investing. Two fundamental principles of value investing are understanding margin of safety and recognizing quality of earnings. Today, I will talk about understanding quality of earnings as represented in financial statements, because you will be reading financial statements on a regular basis. And I'll use Berkshire Hathaway as an example because their annual report is one of the more transparent financial documents out there. And they recently published their 2022 final results and earnings on Saturday, February 25th. What is notable and is my educational point today is understanding how numbers are assembled and what they really mean. When you look at the net earnings or loss in Berkshire Hathaway's income statement, it shows a negative $22 billion entry or a $22 billion loss. If you go through the detail, that loss is largely due to investment and derivative contract gains. That is a negative $67 billion decrease in market value of the securities that they held. However, and I will quote Berkshire Hathaway's chairman's letter, which is part of the annual report, because it is very clear and it's authoritative. Quote, Berkshire had a good year in 2022. The company's operating earnings, our term for income calculated using generally accepted accounting principles, GAAP, exclusive of capital gains or losses from equity holdings, set a record 30.8 billion. Charlie and I focus on this operational figure and urge you to do so as well. The gap figure, absent our adjustment, fluctuates wildly and capriciously at every reporting date. End of quote. Buffett continues, the gap earnings are 100% misleading when viewed quarterly or even annually. Capital gains, to be sure, have been hugely important to Berkshire over past decades, and we expect them to be meaningfully positive in future decades, but their quarter-by-quarter -quarter gyrations regularly and mindlessly headlined by media, totally misinform investors. End of quote. Buffett's statements are correct because the change in value, the $67 billion decrease in market value, occurred entirely on paper. Berkshire didn't sell those securities and they didn't lose $67 billion. That was a paper loss. They simply listed the stocks at the required current market value as is noted in their footnotes on page K76 of the annual report, 
and those losses did not affect the operating earnings, which is what you care about, the 30.8 billion. So the learning point here is, there are two points. One, regularly recurring operating earnings is the goal for equities that you are interested in if you're a value investor. And number two, always look at the categories of earnings and the compilation on the income statement to confirm that your prospect is really earning money and that those earnings have not been distorted in some way. You always have to understand what your holdings are telling you. Okay, number three of our ongoing threads, current financial issues. We're at the beginning of March and what are the talking heads say that we're worrying about or should be worrying about or happy about? And more importantly, what really is it best to focus on during what continues to be choppy times for financial markets? First, what are we being told? Most of what I see ranges from the coming recession through mixed messages about earnings, some companies are doing very well, and then how inflation is not abating and what the Federal Reserve target interest rate raises are going to be. How should all of this affect your thinking? To answer that, I will cite again the 40-year-old excellent book, Secrets of the Temple, that I mentioned earlier by William Greeter. Greeter quotes the then chief economist at First Boston Securities, Albert Woyenlower. He was an influential analyst and economist and has been an active member of the investment banking community for decades, and he is well-respected. Woyen Lower said, Financial markets are like a collection of overlapping crowds. Crowds assembled electronically, all watching their video screens, reading the same bid-ask quotations and gossiping by telephone. Traders must and do therefore respond literally instantly to all news which they think other traders might respond. Whether the news is considered economically significant or even true is immaterial. Moreover, it's well known that crowds generate, transmit, and respond to messages, rumors included, very differently from individuals. That's the end of the quote. Mr. Wojnarowski has always been considered to be astute, thoughtful, and perspective. So my question to you is, if you and I are not drawing salaries as professional investment functionaries, analysts, traders, whatever, in these overlapping crowds of institutional traders and professionally paid investors, why should we behave the same way they do? Is there an incentive here that I'm missing? Let me know. We should be following our own stars, our own knowledge, our own intuition, or guidance from respected sources that we have developed over the years. Again, you don't develop a framework in 15 minutes, you accumulate your points of reference. My second point that reinforces the first point is commentary regarding Walmart's reported earnings. They came out on February 22nd and they beat expectations by 20 cents a share or better than 10%. And the stock promptly closed down 250 from 146.77 to 144.24. Because Walmart indicated that expectations for 2023 would be difficult there would be headwinds, and at the same time, they pointed out that their stores were drawing more upscale customers looking to stretch their purchasing dollars. So Walmart gave a mixed message. Their stock was up 
their earnings were up, their profits were up more than 7%, that's money in the bank, and the response of the market was to discount the stock by about 2%, based on a partially conservative impression of the future by Walmart management. What is the learning point here? Listen to the news as in, keep your ear to the ground, but don't get run over by the buffalo herd. Spend the majority of your focus on individual companies, their earnings, the hard data that you have gathered, while paying attention to the markets, those overlapping crowds, but following your own framework and reference points, in my case, their value investors, as the near term will continue to contain no shortage of conflicting information. Okay, let's talk about environmental, social, and governments, ESG. Let's look at what's happening on the ESG front, since I do believe that paying attention to that should be part of your financial framework. That is why I spent a fair amount of time on the previous four podcasts talking about background information and finding and looking at ways to measure companies' ESG efforts in a way that you could use those metrics to match your investing values. I think how you measure things is extremely important from the concept of measurement down to how many bolts and screws are in the bin at the hardware store. It can't be half-baked. In those four podcasts, we looked at Microsoft, we looked at Nextier Energy, we looked at BlackRock, we looked at other companies briefly, and my recommendation to you was to use the criteria for growth and safety that we've developed earlier, along with the firm CPD's ESG rating system. Recently, the Kentucky legislature and the state's attorney general provided me, and in turn you, with a story that seems to me to validate my recommendation to you that you approach ESG from a bottom-up, do-it-yourself. Let's be clear about this approach. Rather than the, we'll figure it out as we go along, and I think I understand the policies, so I'm going to go uh, on my opinions rather than a set of facts approach that we will see in this story. In an article in the Your Money section of the New York Times, written by Ron Lieber, L-I-E-B-E-R, on February 24th, Mr. Lieber states that, quote, bowtied bankers do not often sue a state's lawyer-in-chief, so when it does happen, it's time to pop the popcorn and gather around to watch, end quote. The Kentucky legislature passed a bill in 2022 that ordered the state treasurer to track financial firms that have engaged in energy company boycotts and warn those firms about the possibility of the state of Kentucky not doing business with those firms. In October, the state attorney general, Daniel Cameron, who is also running for governor, issued subpoenas to Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo for documents, quote, relating to the company's involvement with the United Nations Net Zero Banking Alliance, end quote. The Kentucky Bankers Association then sued the attorney general, claiming he was creating, quote, an ongoing illegal state surveillance system, end quote. Additionally, the Kentucky County Employees Retirement System sent the state treasurer a communication indicating she was exercising a waiver from the law, a loophole in the legislation, in order to exercise her fiduciary duties appropriately. 
In a previous podcast, I cited a survey done by Morgan Stanley stating that fund managers were looking at ESG primarily in terms of risk management and in response to investors' requests for risk management data. What risks are presented to equities and funds due to environmental or other changes to business practices covered by ESG was their primary concern. That seems to me a sensible way to look at ESG. Are companies engaging in business practices that make them more sustainable long-term, and that's environmental as well as governance, uh, regulations affect businesses, or are a company's pronouncements simply greenwashing, that they're really not doing anything to make their business more sustainable, or clearly examining risks that should be part of their risk management portfolio. Prudent portfolio stewards, in Mr. Lieber's words in his article, quote, prudent portfolio stewards of everything from retirement investments to housing, that's you, I hope, and me, that is an ESG filter, is simply good risk management, just as looking at international economic or demographic trends can be. End quote. Learning point. Expect a lot of noise. However, what you must do is focus on measurable and sensible ESG metrics, environmental, social, or governance, metrics of companies whose earnings are solid and that match your values. For example, under governance, I look primarily at transparency. Is the company telling me what's really going on? or are they not? I read a recent article comparing Tesla and their electric vehicles and Ford in their electric vehicles. And the article's comment was, Tesla was not currently or recently being forthcoming and were surprising investors with price cuts and uh, reduced uh, product delivery, while Ford, good old stodgy old Ford, was uh, moving forward with its plans while still selling a ton of F-150 non-electric trucks. Okay, so those are the threads that I wanted you to look at. So here are questions for you to consider as you develop your investment skills. In terms of building on what you know, I've always believed that the quality of a person's questions have a lot to do with the results they get. So here's my question for you. With regard to investing, are your questions about investing getting better over time? Or are they staying the same? Are you getting answers to the questions that you're asking? And are you improving, refining, taking your questions to the next level? I will post some hints as to how I answer that question because I ask myself that question on a pretty regular basis. I'll post some hints on my website, Financial Frameworks, as well as strategies for improving questions. Item two, regarding value investing. We talked about Walmart today. My question to you is, if there were one more piece of information about Walmart that tipped the balance for your expectations for Walmart and buy the stock or not buy the stock, what would that piece of information be? Don't overthink it. Give it a quick thought, jot down your answer. My final question is with regard to ESG. 
How do you think the litigation and legislation in Kentucky with regard to ESG will play out? I ask this because this activity of the Kentucky legislature may not be an isolated matter in our current world where slogans matter more than analysis. As I usually do, I will post my thoughts on finframeworks.com. I will also post all sources cited or referenced on the website for your perusal. I hope that this has been helpful to you. For our next podcast, we will spend more time on value investing and on ESG elements that you can use immediately. Because our goal here is increased learning that translates into actions that produce sustainable earnings for you that you can hold on to. Again, I hope that this has been useful to you. And if it has, mention the podcast to a friend. I would appreciate that. Mike Lehan, Financial Frameworks.